this morning, I want, I want to begin by just, just getting us to think about something uh, for just a moment. Think, think about how in Scripture, um, particularly in the, in the New Testament, we're kind of talking New Testament context here this morning, uh, at least to begin, how many times or how many we might use word pictures, illustrations that we find in Scripture that are designed to help us understand our relationship with our Heavenly Father and our Savior. Metaphors, illustrations, whatever term you want to use. But, but they're all designed to, to, again, help us to think about who we are as God's people to remind us or help us better understand and apply who we are as disciples of Jesus. Uh, can, you, can you think of some? Maybe, first of all, just collectively as the church, the bride of Christ. There are occasions in the writings of Paul he refers to us as the body of Christ. He can also speak of the church in terms of God's building, God's household. In one place, he even refers to us as God's field. And then there are other illustrations, other word pictures that we find in the New Testament that help us understand our role as a disciple of Jesus, maybe as, as individuals, slaves of Christ, soldiers of Christ. I, I really like those texts where Paul uses athletic images. And so we might say we are an athlete on God's team. And there, there are so many, so many. Perhaps the earliest we find in Scripture are the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Words that are very familiar to us. Let me read verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. Now think about that. A word picture, a metaphor if you will, of who we are as God's people. We are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Here's a second. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I want us to think for just a moment about uh, what Jesus means when he says that we are the light of the world. The light of the world. Well, first of all, light is to be used. It's to be turned on. What, what is its purpose? It's to dispel darkness. It's to eliminate uh, an area uh, where we might be, uh, what surrounds us. But, but we have to be turned on. We, 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 have to be, we have to be used. 
And so I think there is an implication there. There there is a responsibility as God's people to be what Jesus says we are, the light of the world. And and the one word that that I I think we could could maybe choose that, that really helps us to to understand the impact we are to have is the word influence. I mean, when you you turn a light on and you have the ability to see that that light influences the surrounding as, as darkness is dispelled and things are revealed. And so one of the most powerful things that we can do as the people of God is to live our lives in such a way that we have an impact or an influence upon people and upon our culture and upon our society. And so here here is the bottom line for me. The church is to be the greatest influence on the earth. I I mean, that's who we are as God's people. And and, and we are to influence those we come in contact with. Wherever we find ourselves, whether it's as a congregation here in our our community, or or whether we choose to attend some conference in Chicago, or some film in Grapevine, Texas, or, or wherever we go, whether it's school, work, play, to shop, to, to be light. This powerful influence in God's world. You were supposed to but you jump kept, in. But you kept going. Because you, you were delaying. You always... Do you have anything to say about this? Mute. <laughs> you didn't know I had that remote in there, did you? Randy says the church is the most powerful influence to the world. But, but I, I would have to disagree. You know, Randy reads a lot of books, so I read a book. And no, it did not have coloring pages in it, Randy. Joyner writes this. Family. Family has shaped the fabric of the social, religious, and political structures of every civilization. The heart of the family affects the direction of every child and the future. So I think one of the most powerful influences in this world is the family. When I think about growing up and I think about my family, I can remember being six, seven, eight years old, riding on the tractor with my father. We lived next to Sister Bowers. She, she was a widow. Her, her husband had passed years before we had moved there outside of Pensacola. And she had all this land that needed to be mowed. And I would sit on that Kubota tractor with my father, and as we mowed, he would, he would teach me not only where to keep the tires, he would teach me not only to how to make the turn where you didn't leave the corners, he would sing. There is beyond the azure blue a God-consumed human sight. 728B. You know that is right. All right. First time I ever sung by myself and in front of the audience. And as I reflect on that story, not only do I realize the reason why I can't sing is because I learned how to sing with a 
a tractor mower and a shredder behind me. But I think of how my father taught me about God. Throughout our day, throughout our week, he showed me how God was a protector, how God was a provider. And it is in the context of family that I learned that. And in the context of family, I learned that, that when my mother would see me hungry or sick or hurt, I would see God as a nurturer. And when my mom would paint and do artwork, she would show me how God creates and God created. And it's in those moments that in the context of family, I learned about God and who God is. In the context of of getting on my sister's nerve, I learned the context of God and his wrath. But family was where God came into my life. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, please. We kind of know the, the verse 4 and on, but let's play, pay close attention to the first couple of verses in, in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. And Moses is speaking out to this crowd of people, and he says this, These are the commands, decrees, and laws to the Lord your God, of the Lord your God has directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all these decrees and commands that I give to you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. And so here in the context of family, from one, one generation to the next, the commands, the decrees would be taught. It is in the, in the living room, it's at the table, where a child would learn about God and what God was doing. They would reflect on how God brought them out of Egypt, brought them out of slavery, And therefore reflect on how God brings them out of sin and into the promised land, the kingdom. Now I want to give a really quick disclaimer for the rest of these six weeks. Not every family looks the same. And what a blessing. We need a stronger amen than that. Not every family looks the same. Amen. 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 And that is a God-given, beautiful thing. Mm. And we as parents mess up. My parents did. I told them. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the disclaimer for the rest of the six weeks. But it is in families. It is sitting at the table. It's sitting in the living room that, that God has used to remind his people the commands. In Ephesians 5 and 6, the writer shares with us this image of 
a spouse, of spouses, of, of a husband to love their wives as Christ did the church, and, and how wives are to submit to their husbands as the church does to Christ. And then it goes on to talk about children, how they must obey their parents. And in this, he is telling these people in this culture, in this world where families are getting broken up, that guys, you are helping paint a picture of God's covenant, of God's love, of God's goodness. And it's in family we see that throughout Scripture. Jesus is sharing this story. And I can imagine people are now sitting on the edge of their seats as he begins to talk about this son who goes to his father and wanting this inheritance. The context of the story is family. A father and a son relationship. And the son asks for an inheritance and he goes and he messes up. He leaves his home, gets rid of all his money, and he's broken, he's lost, and he doesn't know what to do. And as the, as the listeners in my mind are sitting on the edge of their seats wondering how is this going to end up, Jesus is using family to tell them the story of God. And he's sharing with them. In the moment that the son turns back to the father, and the father runs out to the, the son. He's sharing with the people how great God's love and redemption is. So I think one of the greatest influences in this world, Randy, is the family. Okay, you've convinced me, Garth Brooks. <laughs> Let me change my bottom line statement. There are two powerful influences on the planet, the church and the home. God's family and our physical family. They both exist because God initiated them. And I have to admit, the family was created first. They both exist because God desires to use them to demonstrate his plan of redemption and restoration. I believe their primary task together is to build God's kingdom. And if they work together, they can potentially make a greater impact than if they work alone. I have a story to tell, and it's about this book. Title of it is Think Orange. And here's my story. It might surprise you, but I have an aversion to the color orange. There is a school, north central Oklahoma, who claims to have the nation's brightest orange. There is a school in the hill country of Texas, for some reason burned theirs, but they think their orange is the best. So I've, I've always had this aversion to orange. You can ask Lori. I, I don't have, even the thunder, Oklahoma City Thunder, use orange a little bit. I don't have any of the orange t-shirts. I just buy the blue ones. Don't, I don't like orange. Right? 
And so my regular routine years ago when I was preaching in Edmond on Tuesdays when new books were released, I would visit Mardell's, Mardell Bookstore. I also went because they had free coffee. So I'd get my coffee and I would just, each, each Tuesday morning, it was just a part of my routine, just go up and down the book aisles looking for new resources, seeing what had just been released. And I began to notice this book, Think Orange, and I thought, what a stupid title. Who is going to buy that book? I saw that Jorner was the author. I really didn't know who Reggie Jorner was at that time. And this, this happened for probably three or four months. I just refused to look at it, refused to pick it up, because it's orange. Well, one day later, I was drinking some coffee with a fellow minister there uh, in, in Edmond, Mark Roof. Uh, Mark is now, uh, or has been, the preacher for the New Hope Church of Christ in Edmond for several years previously. He was the youth minister for the Quail Springs Church of Christ in Oklahoma City. And, and so he was, he was very family-oriented. And uh, he said, listen, he said, I've just started reading this new book. It's wonderful and it's great. And I said, well, what is it? And he said, think orange. I'm like, Mark, you know, I, what, he's originally from Tennessee, Jimmy. So he has his, I, I call that Whataburger orange. So he, he was okay with, with orange. And I said, okay, tell me about the book. Well, so he begins to share with me this, this concept of thinking orange. And it's written by a gentleman by the name of Reggie Joyner, who for a number of years was the youth and family minister for a megachurch in Atlanta. And as a Georgia fan, he originally had an aversion to orange. He associated orange with Florida, University of Florida. But as he began to, to think about what orange, how orange is, is, is created. It's, it's a secondary color. It's not a primary color. It's a secondary color, but yet it's very powerful. And so here, here is his uh, concept. When you think orange, you see how two combined influences make a greater impact than just Two influences. Let me, let me, hang, hang on. Where's the mute button? I didn't talk. Oh, okay. All right. When, when you think orange, you see how two combined influences, red, a primary color, representing the family, and yellow, represent another primary color, representing the church, the light of the world. How if you combine those two influences, you can have an even greater influence. All right, now this is where Jared and I are really nervous, or at least I am, because we're going to try to illustrate this. You can kind of see it on the slide. It looked more peach the other day. Oh, well... We're going to do our best here. Hey, don't get anything on that nice suit of yours. No, I'm going to try not to. I don't think Lori's in here. She's with Jed. So, am I supposed to do this now? Yeah, go for it. Sure. Let's mix it up. 
It's not turning orange, it's going pink. Oh, there it goes. It's orange. Can you see it? It's orange. So you combine yellow, and I, I like to put red first. If you com combine red with yellow, you get orange. Okay? In our context, if you combine the family with the church, no longer do you have two separate influences, but you have two working together to have an even more powerful and positive impact. So, so this is where we're headed over the next uh, six weeks. Now, Jorner, he, he, he suggests several mistakes to avoid. Right, so let me, let me share those with you. At least in his experience, and, and th these, these mistakes are what kind of drove him to think about this orange idea. The church often forfeits its potential to have greater influence on kids' and students' lives. So, sometimes the church just, just steps back and says, you know, there's nothing we can do. There's just nothing we can do. Right. Or, or the church wants to maybe be involved, but fails to better equip parents and families. I, I mean, we have, we have the right idea, we, we have the motivation, but maybe we don't have the tools or the skills, we haven't developed those to better equip parents and families. A third mistake to be avoided that often occurs, the church also might miss critical opportunities to meet the needs of unchurched parents and families in our community. I, I mean, typically, parents want what's best for their children. Fair assumption, right? And, and, and yet, even unchurched families, we, we see this in Kitty College, we see it in our latchkey program, where, where parents often are at a loss as to what to do. And, and so here is this great opportunity as the church to provide classes or uh, provide other things to better equip our own parents and families as well as those in the community. And then finally, Joyner has seen where parents either avoid or abdicate to the church the responsibility to be spiritual leaders. In, in other words, some, some families or parents will say, no, this is, this is totally my responsibility and don't have anything to do with the church. Or they go to the other extreme and say, uh, this, this isn't my responsibility or I don't know what to do and just kind of throw their children at the church. So again, some extremes to avoid. And so over, over the next six weeks, uh, Jared and I will be uh, team preaching through this Think Orange material that we believe is very powerful. And this is a very simple book to read. I would encourage every parent and grandparent to, I think you can get it an, an e-book copy for three bucks or so. 
And, and if you wait, it'll be $1.99 somewhere. But it's, it's a very good read and a very easy read. After I read this book, we initiated some things up at Mayfair uh, based on some Think Orange principles. And in fact, we loaded up as a staff, uh, youth minister, two children's, part-time children's minister, uh, our office administrator, and a couple of just concerned parents, and attended a one-day Think Orange conference in Plano uh, several years ago. I mean, it's, it's really good. And so over the next several weeks, we hope to, to do a, a, a couple of things at least. All right? Encourage us as a church to really even more so love our children and our families and, and hopefully initiate some things that can better equip our parents and our families uh, to do what the Apostle Paul says, to raise their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And, and, and all of us be very, be very sensitive about that. And so we're going to spend some more time in Deuteronomy 6, some very powerful lessons uh, from that text uh, that became the very foundation of God's people uh, during those times and, and in many ways continues today. And so we'll look at principles from Deuteronomy 6. We'll look at Ephesians 5 and we'll look at Colossians 3 and, and look at some other very key texts as we seek to combine the two greatest influences in the world to where they're working together. There's one more point to be made from Matthew 5. If you go back and you, you look at that text, right, Jesus says two things. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. The you there is plural. And, and so he's talking to all of us. In, in our context, he's, he's talking to us, church, as the church. The other thing about that word you is it is emphatic. It is at the front of both of those sentences. And it's, and it's as if Jesus is saying, you and you only are the salt of the earth. And, and you and you only are the light of the world. Not, not the Roman Empire, not the United States government, not some human philosophy, not, not some economic system, none of that. You, church, are the light of the world. And, and so again, it, it, should, it should communicate to us this awesome Responsibility, yes, but also opportunity to have an impact not only upon our own families, but upon the, the, the families of our community. And so over the next several weeks, I hope you as a church, we as a church, will be praying about this series and, and the wonderful doors of opportunity that I know the Lord is going to open for us as we build our church family and our young families and our older families and have opportunity to reach out to the families in our community. 
Stephen's going to lead us in one more song this morning. We call it the invitation song. It's not his invitation. It's not mine. It's the Lord's invitation. And the song is designed to get us to all thinking, as Shane challenged us to do in his communion thought, to, to, to just think about where we are the past week. And if you need to respond to your Lord this morning, please do so while we stand and sing.